I'm Stephanie. I'm a compulsive overeater, recovered bulimic, anorexic, orthorexic, body obsessor, exercise bulimic, laxative abuser, binger. I said purging. Got it all in. Um, okay, so when I, my first slide is really going to be telling you um, a little bit about me and where this disease come from, comes from and how, it, how I wound up in here with all you lovely people. Okay, so I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. That had nothing to do with my eating disorder. Um, I grew up under the poverty line. I was raised by a mother who had three kids by the age of 20. We all had different fathers who we were not allowed to see, did not know. They were like, you know, her first name was Mary, so there you go. Um, so, um, you know, I, I, we grew, I grew up in a house full of books, not a lot of food. I grew up, I grew up emotionally hungry, and I grew up really wanting something I didn't have, which was, you know, the ability to feel worthy and loved. I didn't feel unworthy. I just did, I didn't feel loved because I didn't have any physical affection, and that um, is something I learned during working for this program that was necessary for me. I wanted to actually know, um, not just in talk, but that I was loved. Um, the, my mother was very... Uh, she was the boss of me and everyone, including my relatives. Um, no, no, this is not, this is true. And like nobody wanted to ever get her, her mad. That was a thing in my family. And the only um, she, my, my black mother, she could not cook. So every night <laughs> was, it, like, it was war in my house. Like this, every night, like my sisters and I sat at the dining room table and there was something on the plate that probably was food and I refused. I just like from an early age, I refused and I was not allowed to get up from the table until I ate. I ate. I don't even know if she cared if I ate everything on my plate. She just wanted me to eat something and um, I wouldn't. And I would go to sleep every night. I'd shove, take the food and shove like succotash or beets out of the can or whatever the heck was on that plate under the tablecloth or under the radiator or like or my food would or my face would fall down in my plate and that's how I would fall asleep and um, that you know so I w- and I was hungry I, but, but I think I just had really good taste I, like I wanted to taste I wanted food prepared with love that's really what I think I wanted um, so that that caused some friction in my house because it's the only time anyone anyone knows in my family ever disagree with my mother and put their foot down and I was a kid so you know growing up you know lots of experience lots of relatives I came from one of those big extended families where I spent every weekend with relatives every weekend with my grandmother every weekend. Um, and, and um, when I was 12 years old I was raped by my uncle now my uncle was you know lord and savior no one in my family believed in God, which was, again, fascinating and weird. Um, so my, my, my uncle had this, like, shiny job and this shiny thing, and he had this wife and kids, and, and he was, because my father wasn't around, he was the male figure in my life, and he was who I looked up to, and I spent a lot of time at his house with his wife, and he got divorced, and 
we all just still kept going over his house and I woke up one night in the middle of the night and that's what happened and it changed my entire life that one night um, changed my entire life because I no longer felt safe I no longer felt seen I no longer felt I just didn't know what was going on and I really thought that like being poor being abandoned having um, this rapist uncle I thought it was all my fault because I was I didn't understand I thought like clearly I made this happen like there's something in me that is like attracting this kind of violence um, and I, I I didn't tell my mother you know I think people were groomed I didn't tell my mother not because she didn't wouldn't believe me that, that didn't even occur to me she was very political. My mother would have absolutely believed me. She would have. She had the kind of accessible rich made for prison. So I was like, um, yeah, I better just like, like. So I knew not to say anything because I was afraid I would lose my mother, and then all would be lost. So I didn't say anything. Um, as you know, and I shoved down any need and any vulnerability I had. I just remember like my sisters and my friends in high school falling in love and I was like, Oh like I'm like I just believed I was invincible. I was I was invincible from having human emotion. Like that. Like like vulnerable. Like that. Letting someone letting some stranger into your life and then like having all this control over how you felt. So of course it happened to me. And I was about twenty one and by then I was I was on like I was running and I was on weight shakes and I was I swear to God my body has never changed it was like this was the insanity you know maybe a few pounds here or a few pounds there my body has never changed so it really wasn't about how I looked it was like I was someone who was desperate to control something in my life and, and, and food made sense food, body that all made sense and so I um I wound up just like playing around with my food and then I fell in love he was a vegetarian I don't know if that has anything to do with anything <laughs> but you know I tried that and, and, and when, we, when he broke up with me like this house of cards that I built this very fragile child that I put in this relationship and this, he had a perfect a wonderful family and so I like that was going to fix me god darn it and you know and they were fancy and they were lo- like they were normal they were not going on marches every weekend and like they were not weird and 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 when he broke up with me I tried to kill myself which I would later learn is not normal behavior for someone breaking up with you um, you know, but I did not know how to. Like, I had no coping coping mechanisms. I had no coping skills. It was like really good, or I was just gonna die. And like, you know, and I come from a long line of women who have tried to commit suicide. Let me throw that out there. Um, so I, I inst- instead of like dealing. I remember being in like the psych ward and them asking me questions and, and I was like a good student so of course I got out of there in like five minutes. They never they didn't keep me two hours. And I look back and go, Oh my god, I should have stayed. I was crazy. And what I did at at that like set 
everything in motion, which is I went back to my apartment, I packed, I got on a bus, I came to LA because that was going to fix me. Okay. And um, I came to LA and I was like, oh, I should try a career where it's all going to be focused on how I look. <laughs> Did I like that career? Did I even care about that career? No, like no, I had no, I had zero passion. It just was like what everyone else was doing. Um, and I thought it would pay for my real career. So I did that and, and, and read some article one day that any sane person reading, it, the article said bulimia, the new diet. And then underneath, it was a, please don't do this. My brain was like, oh, this is a how-to. Like, 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 this is going to really give me some information to, you know, like, those fried pork chops, done. Like, I don't, have, I don't have to keep those in my stomach, great. And so I was, like, off to the races. And, and you know, here's the great thing. Like, when you're in this disease and spiraling and crazy, you are the only one who don't know, who doesn't know. Like I was like, I thought everyone thought I was like amazing and perfect. And it was, I had a sister who was a junkie. And the great thing is, I was like, oh, that with that disease, look, I would never, I would never, I would never do that because that doesn't look pretty. And. Um, I, 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 it's not that I cared what you thought, it's just I wanted you to think that I thought better of myself. Like I really wanted to keep the facade, believe it was great, right, because it kept the facade of like it looked okay on the outside. And I remember when my sister died, she had her disease for most, the majority of her life, and when she died at like 50, she, um, she was in hospice and we were talking and she said you know I, and she knew I had a lot of years of recovery and I was like a real recovery person and and um, she said you know I just I couldn't feel my feelings like I tried and I, I like I could not like I was unwilling and they, this was like her deathbed confession and you know um you know, it breaks my heart, but I understand because, like, someone told me a quote: um, "Pain travels through feeling, through families until someone's willing to feel it." Right? So I'm the person in my entire family who like took this on, and you know, my mother died this year with all of her pain still in her, best she could, and and so it, you know, this is like a family disease, like this need, this this it it. I've moved to different con countries, I've moved to different, like I tried everything and this thing was with me everywhere I went, like, you, you know when you're young you think you can outrun this. Um, and even when you, 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 you know, you think like, oh, I, I can just do this new kind of secret diet over here, it, it morphs, like, like the idea that I could wake up every day and not, like, Food is just food, my body, what you think of me. Like I, like, I don't care. Like, I say that because when I walked in here or crawled in here 30 years ago, over 30 years ago, honestly, but when I crawled in here, I sat in the back, I didn't raise my hand, I left and immediately binged. I was like, you people can't help me. 
And this was like before this program had black people. <laughs> um, so I was like, this is my excuse. Because when you're an addict, you're looking for excuse. Like, what makes me so different that I'm incurable and terminally unique? And for me, it was like this, like, lovely shade of melon. Right? Like, I was like, I was like, you people don't know my trauma score. It's high. You're driving that fancy car. Nope, you can't get it. And, you know, and it's like, that's what kept me separate. But I am telling you, I tried everything. I tried guinea pig programs. I tried it. This is the place that, like, held me accountable. This is the place where I met people who let me sleep on their couch because I was scared if I went home, I was going to, you know, you know, 40,000 calories later, I was going to finally get to sleep, you know. Um, and now I'm just like, I'm so much more loving because I understand, wow, like, I look at my life, I came from there to here, right? Like, the, the, the level of trauma, the level of pain I was in. And the only thing I can say is, like, what was happening up here was my disease was my bully, right? It told me, you're, you're a piece of shit, you don't deserve to live, everyone's laughing at you, you're less than, you know, why even bother, you know, you're, you're never going to be okay, like, like, you don't get to win, like, you're going to be the one person who's not going to, like, survive this, like, or, like, it just dogged me and dogged me, and, and literally, I came in this program, and it took me about two and a half years. And it took me about two and a half years because I kept thinking, well, if I move to this fancy place or this fancy city, or if I go back to New York, or if I go back to the, you know, to the center of the crime, like, I could, you know, it's going to be okay. So I say that because, like, when I stand here, I know, like, I'm recovering, right? Like, I, like, I tried leaving program. It was hard out there. It was so hard. And the truth is, it's hard, it's hard in here. Like, I've had a shitty week, honestly. And I had an amazing week. Like, I can hold both of those and have them both be true in recovery. Right? Like, I can tell you all the great things that happened this week. I can also tell you I spent this week in a deep, dark funk. Different, I did have a day where I was like, I'm just going to go home and get in bed because I'm tired of people. Tired of people... They didn't behave the way I wanted them to. I didn't get what I wanted. Um, I'm super frustrated at how slow the world is moving. I'm like the Harriet the Way thing doesn't work for my brain. And um, I got in bed and I was like, I called some fellows and I was like, oh yeah, I need more God. Like I need to expand my God. Like I need, I need, I need more grace. Right? I need, um, like maybe I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Right? Like maybe this is, maybe it's okay for me to feel like crap, to look at my life and see like all the great things. You know, there's some cash and prizes over there, you know. Um, and then there's like this, this, this person who still has moments of like deep-seated sadness, you know. Um, so I want to talk about some of the things that that I was able to do in recovery. Um, you know, this summer my mother died. 
you know, lots of people here now. And, you know, in the last year, our relationship had just improved greatly. You know, which meant I just came to a deeper level of acceptance. Right? Like, this program teaches me you got to, like, meet people where they are. Right? And I'm not, a, I'm not a real people pleaser, which was a little problem in my relationship with my mother. I just didn't get that gene. But I learned to really, like, I appreciated her and loved her. I don't really think she liked me very much because I'm very different than she wants me to be, which is insane. But anyway, that's, that, that, you know, that, that, that's something I see as true. I hear that and that's, that, that sounds true. So... When my mother was in her hospital bed, she was in a coma, and this is where this program has gotten me to. I'm standing in her room, waiting to see if the swelling goes down on her brain, and um, I look down the hall, and there are two of my aunts. I don't really like my family. They don't really like me. It's kind of a thing. Um, I, I, I say things that they think should be in the closet. I'm like, let's drag this out of the closet. They're like, no, you're, you know. Um, so, so I'm, I'm looking down the hall and I see my 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 two aunts and my uncle, who is the rapist uncle in the family. Just give him a title. That's his title. And and he comes walking down the hall with them, and he's in the middle, and they're like walking in this way that is protective of him. They're 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 here like centaurs, and he's there, and I'm like. And by the time they get to me, I'm like this. <laughs> and so my aunt walks in and she's like, what's your problem? Why are you looking like that? I don't scream. I don't yell. I don't even do anyone's inventory. I just go, you know, he can't be here. Okay. And they look and they're like, people should grieve. I'm like... He can't be here. And then they start protecting him. And I'm like... And I just look at them and I said, He raped me when I was 12 and he must leave this room. He does not get to be here. And they like, they were like, The doctors are going to hear! <laughs> I'm like, you know I wrote a whole book about this, right? Like, like, like you already know it's like out there, right? Um... <laughs> Anyway, they laughed, and and afterwards, um, they were trying to, like, shame me. And I said, you know, here's the thing. I don't think about this this often. It's not a big deal in my life anymore. I have done a lot of work around this. But people like that don't get to be around me. I am Teen Stephanie. So if if you've never heard that saying, like, I'm telling you. I'm Teen Stephanie. I ride hard. I, like, have a lot of, like, I don't do the ride and die thing because no one has to die to, like, ride with me. Okay, but I'm saying to you, like we, like my people, if I love someone, I, I'm there. Like nobody expects me to be perfect. I gave that shit up. Perfection will kill you. It is so like. And by the way, think about it. Do you really like perfect people? Like when people act like they're perfect, they're super not likable, right? Because you see the fear and you see what they're high, the race, and it's like, oh, I did that. I did it better. Conspiracy program, right? So, 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 um, you know. And then last week, I woke up Monday morning to discover that this rapist uncle died. 
and I decided to write a thing about it. Again, my family does not like me. Um, you know, and, and then I had to grieve. And, and I had, like, tools and people. And, and I say this because when I came in here, all I had was the food and the deep-seated self-hatred. Right? Like, those were my, the, that's how I was living. I had food, and I'm a piece of shit, but I'm also fabulous, and like, bait and switch, like bait and switch. Like, it was just like, and now it's like, I'm going through this period where I'm not getting enough sleep, it's super annoying, it's, I'm not eating over it, I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't binge, I eat whatever I want within moderation, I, like, I don't even know how I got here. Like, I'm not even kidding. Like, I did not do this alone. I have, I, if you stay and you work it and you don't make excuses, because, like, the great thing about this program is I've made so many mistakes in my personal life, in my, like, I, like, I, I get to make mistakes. I don't, you know, when I give talks in my other career, you know, there's a thing I've learned, which is 33 and a third percent of all people will love you, and 33 and a third percent of all people will not and 33 and a third percent will be on the continuum. And there's like nothing you can do to change those odds, right? Like there's like, no, and it's like, that's how I feel about my, about program, right? Like I have to be here, in here, attached to this, right? Because nothing out there is going to, like, it's not, nothing out there is going to change the odds for me. You know, and I'm here as someone who like, oh, so glad this week is over. You know, um, next week might you know not be better, right? I may I may be feeling all the feelings every day. Like I've had crying days, and it's like the difference between the, the, it's like when I have to cry, I'm like, oh my god, I'm having a feeling. This is amazing. <laughs> this is amazing. You know, I'm so sad, and I'm like, I'm sad. You know, like I, I'm still humbled by the fact that I get to be sad. Because I grew up in a, you want to be sad? Let me give you something to be sad about kind of household. You know? Like, what's that, what are you, what's that on your face? And it's like, you know, and what I didn't say is, I have raised a whole human being. Like a whole shiny human being. Who is 19, who has like, a, like such a low trauma score. And, and like, and I'm like, and yet, like I drove her to the airport and I was driving home and I was crying because I was like, oh, that's what it would look like if you grew up and felt loved and worthy and had good, like, parents with good boundaries. Oh, that, like, that's what it looks like. And so a part of me is, like, grieves the, the me that didn't get that, right? Like, that didn't get that. But you know what? I give it to myself today. I'm here because this is the, the only house on the block for me. So thank you for letting me know. This is time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions I share with you today are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember if you ask a question, your voice will be audible on the OA podcast. Thank you so much for your share. Could you talk a little bit about um, how you sponsor? Um, can I talk about how I sponsor? 
Okay, this is actually interesting because I've been here so long. I don't sponsor one way because everyone's so different. Like if I have a sponsee who's very perfectionist, I will actually give them the least amount of work because it kind of drives them crazy in the beginning. You know, because they want to like get that A. Um, and I'm like, yeah, you know, how are you feeling? And so we go more into that. But um, basically how I sponsor is, like, I don't sponsor newcomers only because I have a very full life. And I think when you are a newcomer, it is your job to have someone who can really be there for you. Like, like that is the first step where you start to understand the value of your own needs and that you, you are worthy of that. So, so I always like tell newcomers, like, go for that. Go for a person who can pick up your call every time you call, um, so or as much as possible. So I try and sponsor um, people who really want to work the program. Like, like I here's the one thing I do when I sponsor. I sponsor people who've been in here ten years and have never done steps. And I go, okay, here's the deal. We're gonna do steps. Because once you do them the first time, the second time you're going to dig a little deeper, and that's really what you want to go for. So that, I think, gives people like the option to be like less afraid of the steps. It's like when I wanted to learn how to swim as a 40-year-old woman, I decided I really want, what I really wanted to do was surf. So I sponsor, I, that's what I did. How I incorporate God into my daily life. God is everything. Like, like God is my like co-pilot. So I have a very like I grew up an atheist, which was amazing because I didn't have to fire anybody. <laughs> um, you know, and I grew up with a mother who was an atheist, so there was no, you know, and very suspicious. So um, for me, God is that like still small voice. If I am quiet, which is as you can tell, very hard for me. But, you know, if I'm quiet, I get on my knees. I, you know, I have been known to go into public bathrooms and, and, and get on my knees. I'm, you know, when, when I first came in program, everything was so automatic. I'd have a feeling, then I'd have the food, and then I'd have a feeling that. Like, and now I can get, oh, this is what's happening. Before, and then I go to God first. So... Thanks. Um, can you talk about working the fourth step and your part, particularly when it came to the abuse? Oh, so working the fourth step and my part when it came to the abuse. So here was my only part. My only part was believing the lies. Okay? Believing that it made me unworthy, believing that it was my fault. So that's the part. Like, my fourth step was really about forgiving myself. Okay, for believing that I had that I was some kind of homing pigeon for other people's dysfunction and and violent sickness. So yeah, that that's how I. Think. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, so you talked about how when you first came into the room, you um, felt like you were different, um, but you were able to overcome that. But what I want to know is how, from recovery, how you deal outside the rooms with the fact that, you know, melanin goodness is great, but can be different out in the world. And how do you 
um, future recovery to deal with like the reality of that, but also um, um, how how do I okay? Can you paraphrase that question? How um, I guess the adversity that you that you might experience outside the rooms. How do you you know you made peace with the fact that inside these rooms we're all one. Doesn't matter. That how do you uh, make peace with that outside? How do I make peace with being a black woman in recovery in the outside world? Okay. Um, funny story. So many funny stories. Um, so, so um, two weeks ago, I was in New York, and I was in New York to give a talk about basically an eating disorder, and um, and it was a big thing. And, and afterwards, um, I gave this like whatever perfunctory talk. And afterwards, I had to sit in a room full of people who didn't look like me and say, it was a huge room by the way, and say, um, so here's the thing. I, I have, I, you know, I work very hard on being like a person who has a lot of recovery, but in the diff- when I'm in these rooms, I feel seen no matter what. But I was in this other business-related room and I had to say to a huge room of people, oh, I feel invisible, which is very hard for me giving my personality, right? Like, um, and, and people say they want more, they want to like, how can I say, I'm trying to like keep this in program, which is, um, I know that not everybody wants this. And I, like when I had to get help, that was very hard for my family and for, you know, people who look like me to, to because they, a lot of times, and they see um, taking the first step as a sign of weakness instead of taking a first step inside of, in, as a sign of strength. So what I have learned is that my desire, desire and decision to become a recovered person, you know, can, like when I walk around as a recovered person, people have stopped questioning that. Like, like they do call me about their diets or their fasts or their diet is tea, and I'm like, I don't do any of that, people. Can you not have this conversation? So I have to set, like, a lot of boundaries in the outside world because um, people still want, like, a quick fix, and they, don't, and they don't want to do the work of what it takes to come in this room, and not everyone has this disease to the extent that I, I do. So, and I can talk to you more after. Thank you. Um, what scares you the most? What scares me the most? Okay, okay. so I have to say, as a person who spent many years, and then I had a relapse um, 14 years into the program, um, because I decided to leave, um, and found my head in the toilet. And um, so I'm not leaving, by the way, because I didn't like that. Um, so, So I don't really have a fear about throwing up, although I do have moments where I'm like, oh, they can throw that up. And I'm like, who said that? You know? <laughs> you know? So, so I, I keep coming back because um, that thing will show up. So um, what scares me? You know, the thing that scares me the most is when I'm like really, I get far from God and I like lose faith. And I've had that in recovery. Right? Like, I, like that's what scares me the most is like going back 
to feeling alone and empty like I did when I was a child. Like that's what scares me the most. When you say you take this process and discuss these the steps, what does working the steps look like to you? Um, when I take sponsees through the steps, what does working the steps look look like me? It me it means like every step you 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 like climb that ladder. So first step, you know, a lot of times with people who are new to program, you know, I have people write a help wanted ad for God because a lot of people have to fire the God of their childhood, right? And so I, I have people like really get excited about what it would mean to have a higher power. Right, and and I feel like once you have that foundation, that you actually believe in something greater than yourself. It's not always God. Um, then it's easier to get people to do the rest of the steps. So I really like base this program on a strong spiritual foundation, and then um, and 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 doing it no matter what. And I, I don't believe in for me. I don't want anyone to hand me a Bible when they do their fourth step. Like I'm absolutely against that because I I feel I I work with so many people who are like oh I spent six months on my four step and then I quit my sponsor fired me and then I I'm like no because I feel like the first time it is getting people over the fear of the steps and so just get them through it it's not about perfection get through your steps then you can dial in and be like I need to do a whole four step on my family. I need to do a whole fourth step on my career. I need to do a whole fourth step on, on sexuality. And you can do that. But, but I feel like this whole, like, six, I, I have no patience. I'm not your therapist. I have absolutely no patience for this whole, like, six years doing stuff. Like, you're gonna, if you work with me, anybody who I have responsible will tell you they, they get through those steps. Because it's the moment they're giving away their fourth step and they have so much shame and fear. And if you can get someone to do that and, and suddenly look at it and go, oh, that's what I've been beating myself up about. So imagine if they're holding on to a Bible. They've taken responsibility for every step they've ever taken in life. Right? And, and, and um, I think the program is simpler than that. Like, at least for me. I don't, I don't, I, so I'm like a non-Bible sponsor, okay? <laughs> like I've had, I've had some sponsees where I'm like, um, I'd like you to write your, your forced up in memoir style. And they're like, what? Oh, yeah, I think that would be good for you. And they're like, wait, what? Yeah. And other people, I'm like, one to a hundred, get that down. Um, I will see you in two weeks. They're like, what? <laughs> you know, and, and then the, I see this freedom, that this weight is lifted because they've been holding on to this belief that it has to be perfect and we're all perfectionists. So I don't play to the perfectionism in this program. I actually think you got to, like, I don't care what's in here. Just put it down and let's keep going. So anyway. Um, wondering, like, what helps you to what helped me become more assertive to speak up and to set boundaries? The opposite, the opposite was killing me. You know, it's like, it's like being small and, and trying to please everyone. Like, like nobody's winning. And then you're not yourself. 
You're just who other people want you to be. And the whole thing about working these steps and being in this program is it un okay, it uncovers all the stuff that's 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 counter to who you are. So I'm like, if you want to really rock in life, do uh, do do those steps. Like I am like such a fan. So I think like <coughs> get, get, when you do the steps, you get clarity. Because this, what's happening in between your your ears, this is this is hell. Like when people are like, do you believe in heaven and hell? I'm like, uh huh. <laughs> this is hell. When I'm believing everything in my head, and heaven is. When I'm working the steps, when I'm working the tools, when I'm reaching out, when I'm doing service, it's very simple. Uh, thank you so much. So, so much. Uh, can you talk a little bit about whether you struggle with care and despair, and specifically in your career, but in any place, and, and what tools you work and how you get out of it? Oh, I love that. Can I talk about com- compare and despair as specifically in my career? Okay, so every single person in the world is more successful than me. So let's just start there. <laughs> we'll start there. Um, here's what happened. In the last 30 years, there's all of these little sayings that have come up, right, that I didn't know about, which is like food insecurity, born on third base. I was born like under the dugout, like no lie. So one of the things I learned was, I, you know, I'm someone who is resilient and I'm a survivor. So I, there's, there's an old saying. I'm going to attribute it to old black people, which is, if you want someone else's life, you have to take all of it. I don't want anyone's life. I don't want any of it, right? And so for me, I'm like the little engine that could. I just keep going career-wise. I keep doing my thing. I've had some success, clearly. But, you know, not like the mega you know, not where I think I should be. Um, but, but, but so so... I don't compare, like, and I also see ways that other people work harder or want it more, right? Like, I want my, there's nothing I want more than my recovery. Secondary, there's nothing I want more than to be a great parent. So, that's how I stack my life. And, like, my relationship with God is up there. So, when I put, put my career in there, it's not in my top three, right? Like, other people are more successful. It's probably in their top three. So, I'm more, I'm, I'm just more realistic about who I am and what I want and, and what's most important. So I think like that, that has a lot to do with me being, um, like loving myself a lot, which is like, I, this is really who I am. And if I, you know, if, if having a successful career was, was what it took for me to value myself, I would be, I'd be freaking successful, like in that way. But, but my value doesn't come from that. It just does like like I walk. I can stand here and be like I'm like this amazing human being. And I and, and if you look at my family, I am a miracle, <laughs> seriously, right? And I have a lot of recovery, and I work really hard, and I'm really gentle with myself. And and you know, life is not easy. It's not easy. And I don't. I, you know, I thought when I grew up, life was going to be easy. You have a hard child, you're like, oh, it's going to be easy. It's not. But. I have a lot of support and a lot, a lot of tools and, and a lot of, I got a big posse in this program. And um, so just keep coming back because that's what it takes.
Do I have one more question? I think so. You have like one minute. Anybody. <coughs> Hi, thank you. It sounds from what you said that people called you out for having feelings and they didn't want to hear about the feelings growing up. Right. But, so how did you transition from that into I got a feeling and I'm going to own it and... You know, how did I transition from a child where I was not able to have feelings to being an adult who has feelings? So part of that is the program. Part of that is I got outside help, right? And then, you know, it says in in, in this program, like, we will love you until you love yourself. That's what happened for me. And, and, And I also was able to make big mistakes in this program and still have people love me in my life and in program. So... I think, you know, and by the way, I have a lot of time. I have a lot of time. I spent them in, ugh, I spent more. Okay. Okay.